Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Mosaic Life Podcast. My name is Trey Kaufman. The goal of the Mosaic Life Podcast is to explore happiness and why so many of us chase it, yet so few of us ever really find it. This is a special episode that aims to serve two purposes, the first of which is to remind you that the Mosaic Life podcast will no longer be released on Sunday mornings, but instead will hit podcast players on Tuesday mornings at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, ready and waiting to take you into the rest of your week. Also, this episode serves as a thank you to all of you for listening and sending your feedback and your words of encouragement, and most importantly, for those of you who took pieces of these conversations and used them as inspiration to make positive change in your life. It's been an incredible journey through the first 100 episodes, and I cannot wait to continue growing with you through the next 100. I received over 50 questions for episode 100, and Ernie and I just couldn't get through them all. So as a bonus, I want to answer as many of the rest of them as I possibly can in hopefully 20 or 30 minutes, but I guess we'll see. No point in stalling. Let's get rolling. All right. The next question on the list comes from Amanda Nimmer. What became the most memorable point that forced you to begin changing your life habits for the better? I know I harped on this over and over and over again in episode 100, but the best decision I ever made was almost two years ago deciding to quit drinking. It was a realization that alcohol just was not adding value to my life, but to dig into that just a little bit more, I knew there were things that I wanted to accomplish. I knew there were books I wanted to read. I knew there were things I wanted to do with this podcast and in my own life, and when given the choice, I realized that I would choose alcohol over putting in the work to get those things done. As a basic example, I, for the longest time, have collected books. I've always thought that, it, honestly, I thought that it made me look smart, having books and books and books on my bookshelves, but never actually getting into them and reading them, especially the classics. And so when I decided to quit drinking, I made it a goal to read 52 books in a year. And I was able to accomplish that, and it absolutely felt incredible. And when I realized that I was capable of doing the hard things that I never thought were actually possible, things that I would always just tell myself that I was capable of doing, and more importantly, when I realized that, when I realized why I was able to do it, because I wasn't wasting my time with something that wasn't adding value to my life, that just opened up so many more possibilities. I don't think it was one impetus that said, hey, you need to change. It was just a culmination of not having the things that I wanted in my life and deciding what that culprit was. Maybe maybe it's alcohol for you. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's any one thing that you're so distracted by that it's causing you to lose focus on what you really want. Think about that. Have an honest conversation with yourself and then move forward in making change. That's 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 essentially what I did. Next question comes from Frank Egan. What's the biggest aha moment you've taken away from my podcasting experience? And this question is very similar to what Nicole Jansen had asked, but I, I do have a slightly different answer. 
And I think really the biggest aha experience that I've had is realizing that you can get out of podcasting as much as you put in. And it really has unlimited potential as to how much you can and even should put in to growing your podcast. It's a lot of work from the editing process to recording to booking guests to making sure that the sound quality is up to par to building an audience to building out a website to marketing and promotion and follow up with your guests and networking and growing your relationships with people who have been on your podcast and making sure that you maintain them there's a lot that goes into it which I think on the surface, I knew it was a lot of work, but really understanding how to do it well and to do it right, and not necessarily following conventional wisdom when it comes to producing a show. One thing that I love about podcasting that is so different from radio is that you have unlimited potential. You're not constrained by the amount of time that a podcast should last. There's so many arguments and debates about how long a particular episode should be. You need to do what feels right for you. And then, of course, there's so much data on when to release a podcast or what to do with your show notes. And I have tried to hone in on those things specific to this audience. And so you really are building this platform that's unique from all the millions of other podcasts out there trying to build a niche, but at the same time being true to you and what means the most to you. To me, I've always wanted to come to this from a place of integrity and making sure that what I'm creating feels good and the growth of the podcast comes second to that. And if I'm able to help others continue to pursue the things in their lives they've always wanted to, to help dream bigger and do better, then that's a major accomplishment for me. All right, the next few questions are from Tracy. She had the quick go, go, go questions, and so I'm going to get through these as quickly as I possibly can. How did you decide to leap into podcasting? It's something that my friend Brandon and I always wanted to do throughout our 20s as podcasting was becoming popular, and we talked about it for years and years and years before eventually our lives slowed down a little bit. He had a family and we weren't having the chance to hang out quite as often as we would have liked. So we finally decided on a podcast to start. It was called Hashtag Questions. We answered questions off of Twitter and we got a chance to hang out at least once a week, which was awesome. And so we developed the podcast, took it to 99 episodes and then left our audience hanging I still feel bad about that, but there was some overlap between hashtag questions and the Mosaic Life podcast, and I'm, I'm very thrilled as to how far this particular podcast has come. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? That is an incredible question, and I really don't have a good answer for that. I, I, I guess it would definitely be someplace in Europe, and I, I will actually give a shout out to my friend Barbara. She's in Switzerland. We had a connection Zoom call this past week, and she showed me a view outside her window, and it was just mountains and mountains and mountains, far as the eye could see. So I would start there. Switzerland sounds beautiful. It's got so much to do outdoors, which is extremely important to me. So start there and see where else my travels take me. What's my favorite food? Hummus. Bar none, absolutely, 100%. Love hummus, and that's that. How do you find your next great podcast guest? 
a little bit of luck and a lot of making sure that I stay connected with my previous guests and make sure that I continue to build and grow my relationships. I've been so incredibly fortunate to have previous guests recommend their colleagues, their friends, other people they respect highly come onto my podcast. And it's been such a great experience getting to talk with folks whom my previous guests respect, who I respect. And I've been just so lucky to not have to have a mad dash each and every week to find new people. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. And as a teaser, I've got so many great guests coming up over the next 10 or 15 episodes. What's your favorite work of fiction? Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, for sure. I That was one of those books I was supposed to read in high school. I didn't. I read it during my 52 book in a 52-week year, uh, a year or two ago, and it just blew my mind. It was such a well-written book that I've got it coming back up on my reading list, and I'm so excited about it. I love that book, and I highly recommend anybody who loves fiction, especially classic fiction, to pick it up and give it a read. Have you ever thought about becoming a life coach as a side hustle? In a word, no. I, I, I don't know. I come to it from a place that maybe a little bit of inferiority or a place of not feeling like I have enough to offer. I, I, I don't ever want to be construed as a guru. I've expressed my disdain for that word many times in this podcast, and I'm not saying life coaches are, are that way by any means, but that is how I, I would feel if I tried to sell, I guess, my quote-unquote wisdom to other people. I more than happy helping people through this podcast, help making strides in their lives. And it's that's as far as I want to take it. I, I love and respect the, the coaches and the guests that I have on my podcast who help others really transform their lives. And if I can do that in my own small way through the podcast, that is that's that's good enough for me. All right, now I have a handful of questions from my friend Christina. These are thoughtful questions. So I'm going to try to answer them concisely and thoughtfully. What is one thing you wish you knew about yourself, this process, or happiness before you reached episode 100? That's a great question, but I don't think there was anything I wish I knew about myself because I think that would limit what I was capable of learning through this process. I have come to discover how holistic every element of our lives really is, especially happiness, especially health and well-being. And if I knew that ahead of time, I don't think I would have gotten as much value from these conversations as I've, as I've gotten. So it's really been paramount for me to come to these, these conversations, these interviews with an open mind, and not only just share them with you, but also to instill them in my own life. And so now that I understand that, now that I know I need to come to these conversations from a place of curiosity and wonder. For the next 100 episodes, I'm going to make sure that my mind and my heart are open even more to listening and to guiding these conversations in a way that is helpful for not just myself, but all of you as well. Why do you try to pursue and learn about happiness? We assume that everybody always wants this, but we rarely stop and think about why. Why do you want to be happier? You know, as I've said in the intro for at least 50 episodes, the goal of the podcast is to explore happiness and why so many of us chase it, yet so few of us find it. When I talk with people, and I, I used to be so guilty of this myself, 
I hear so often people say, I'll be happy when I have this or when I have that or when I have a new car or house or new job or new partner or anything like that. We always kick the can down the road of happiness. And I want, I've learned how important it is to reflect on what we have now in front of us. And I think so many of us are striving to accomplish so much. We're never actually willing to sit back and reflect on what we have now, which can go one of a couple different ways. We can realize what we have now is not adding value to our lives, and we can work to rectify that. Or we can realize that with what we have now, we are fully capable of being happy, and we can make that a part of who we are. And we can still pursue new goals and passions, but when we sit down and we think about where we are now, we have the capability of being content. And I think that word, that word content is something that a lot of people shy away from. Contentment is not complacency. When we're content, we can sit with ourselves, sit with our family, and we can take everything in and not need anything else. Contentment to me is a precursor to happiness. And happiness is not some final destination as trite and cliche as it may sound. Happiness very much is a state of being. It's a it's a journey in which we find ourselves in which we find ourselves riding along and sometimes we stray from its path, but we always use that as our true north. And as we learn to be content with what we have and process our emotions on that scale. I think that's when we start to really learn what happiness feels like. And it's not, to me, it's not total elation. It's not when something good happens to you, you jump up and down for joy. For me, I realized when, when I was doing that in my life, I had very high highs, but I also had very low lows. And now things tend to be more leveled out, which is a great place for me to be in because I know that I'm able to maintain that state of well-being for longer periods of time. And so that's why I want to be happy, because it allows me to look at the world and not necessarily see total chaos, but appreciate the beauty. And also understand that I am just my own one person. I don't need to change everything that I see in front of me. I, 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 right now, where I'm at is a perfect state of being, and everything on top of that is just a bonus for me. What has helped you the most in understanding your own happiness? I think a lot of what I just said plays into that, but also being capable of sitting with myself, reflecting on my thoughts, not trying to push them out of the way or harness them or tame them, but understanding that I have thoughts for a reason and exploring those. And so a lot of that comes down to meditation. And that's been a big on and off practice in my life over the last five or six years. And I would highly encourage anybody who thinks they're not capable of doing so to give it a try. It's not about having an empty mind or thinking about nothing. It's about being able to sit with yourself and realize that your thoughts are natural. You are not your thoughts. You're able to file those away into specific categories to address them at another point in your life or at another point in time. And so it was with that, it was through meditation that I realized that I was in full control of my own happiness. In episode 100, I spoke with Ernie about self-reliance and understanding how to do things for myself, whether that's cooking or fixing a mountain bike or any of the above. When I understood that I had the potential to learn these things or to learn anything really, that's when I understood that I was in control of my happiness. 
and that was honestly one of the best realizations I ever had. You had a pretty intense reading plan a while ago. How many books did you end up reading this year versus last year? And which one would you grab to reread on a deserted island? So this year, I have absolutely slowed down my reading a little bit, which sucks. I would like to devote more time to it. I've also been reading some meteor books, but so far in 2021, I've read 10 books, uh, all great books. But compared to the previous year in which I, I it wasn't exactly a calendar year, but in a 52 week period, I read about 60 books. And that was awesome. Uh, it was a lot to take in. And I think probably a little bit too much at times. I don't know if I retain all the information, but it was absolutely worth it to build that habit. And the book I would grab to reread on a deserted island over and over and over again would be Fahrenheit 451. For sure, as I mentioned a bit ago, it is by far my favorite book. How has this podcast evolved until now? What's your favorite change on air and off air that you did to it? You know, I think a lot of it has been from my continuing desire to become a better conversationalist and understanding what exactly that means. You know, one thing I realized, I don't know, 20 episodes ago was that I can invite, or I guess I can, I can design conversations and I can help structure them in a way that I think is most beneficial for not only my guest or myself, but for the audience as well. So all of my conversations are, we have pre-interviews and this gives me a chance to build up some rapport uh, with guests. Now, for a time, the pre-interview was optional and some people took advantage of it. Some people did not. And in my personal opinion, the guests who, or the conversations in which we had a pre-interview far, far exceeded the conversations in which we didn't. And so now I, I, I make those mandatory. And so when I have those, I always invite my guests to share stories, share anecdotes, talk with me about your experiences through your personal journey, conversation, and I and, and I'm, I I have become very intentional with how I, I I I use my words, and so yes, technically these are interviews, but I I use the word conversation more often than not because I, that's what I want it to be. That's what I want it to be perceived as, and so through conversations and through this process, I have realized that as a host, I don't. Not everything I say needs to be a question. I think that was one of the biggest realizations I had. I don't need to solicit a response with, with a question. I can make a statement and allow my guests to respond to it. And that if I were to offer one piece of advice to anybody who wants to have conversations or interviews, that would be it because it makes it feel so much more natural for those listening. You can make follow-up observations or questions, and not everything needs to be structured so rigidly that you're jumping from one topic to the next. And allowing guests to share their personal stories and anecdotes has really helped evolve these episodes. And it's been so fulfilling to not have anxiety or fear about what I'm going to say next, but just letting my own natural curiosity take over. What three people on or off this podcast have been the most influential to you? Let me see if I can do this top of mind. I will say the first person who comes to mind, and I mention her name all the time, is Christina Wise. Um, I've been taking, I'm just finishing up her Curbs uh, money class, which has been phenomenal. It's helped absolutely transform my life and how I handle my money, my household finances, 
And I'd heard it before from other guests that the most, I guess, guess the wealthiest, and there's a very strong distinction between wealthy and rich, the wealthiest people run their households like a business. And so as I've taken over that mentality, that's really helped me to do so and track my expenses and really optimize that area of my life. The next of which, and I say this all the time, is Bill O'Haran. He was a guest who just clicked with me when we first connected via pre-interview. It was so much fun talking with him, and I really respect all he's doing in this world. He has taken this mentality that there's so much for us to continue learning through research and science and even ancient Eastern philosophy. He ties all of that in, and it was just, it was an enlightening conversation, and I'm so excited to continue to be able to talk with him and have conversations with him. It's He was just a phenomenal person to speak with. And last but not least, our first guest on the podcast was Lisa Bond. She's become a great friend of mine. She's here in Columbus, and I love talking with her because we always have big things to talk about and areas in which we're both trying to grow. And I cannot thank thank her enough for her friendship and for continuing to show up for her clients as well as this podcast. What is the biggest myth about happiness that you have countered so far, and how can you debunk it? I think the biggest one for me, as I've mentioned, is that happiness is a destination and that once we unlock it, it sticks with us forever. It's like getting a raise. We, we raise, we get to a point where we have this level of income. And so with that, I think people say they can unlock happiness, but I don't think they ever really define it for themselves. It's very personal, and I don't think happiness means the same thing to any two people. And what I think is one of the most important practices is defining what happiness is for you. As I mentioned just a moment ago, and actually I think I mentioned this on episode 100 as well, Christina Wise pointed out to me that it sounded like I wanted to live a simple life, and that that really, I don't know why that's stuck with me. I think probably because... I always thought that I wanted to build an empire, have a a Silicon Valley tech startup. But when I went into business for myself, I realized that that's the opposite of what I want. I don't want to have employees. I don't want to be responsible for other people's happiness. What I want is to be able to make money doing work that I enjoy with clients whom I respect, who I've built strong relationships with. And when Christina said that, it it was a light bulb turning on in my mind. I just want things to work. I want to have relationships that I that I, I care about and can and can help grow and through that through through these particular conversations it's just it's been so magical seeing that happen so defining happiness for yourself i think i think a lot of people think happiness is one size fits all it it's absolutely not define it for yourself and then only then can you start to understand what it means to you So Christina asks, what is something you always ask the people you interview? What is your signature question or a version of it? And then have that question asked to you. So the three questions I always ask is, if I'm looking for more resources to continue growing, what would those be? And I really think just having people to have these conversations with, I'm always growing through them. So I'm always open to having conversations with people who are doing the very best in their lives or doing the work to get to the best versions of themselves. I want to have conversations with them. That's always been so meaningful and powerful for me. 
Then next is what is my most life-changing book? As I've said a thousand times, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. I highly encourage everybody read that book. And then last but not least, what is my personal call to action? That one's simple. It's demand the very best for yourself. Is there something you think people misunderstand about you? You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is a while ago, maybe sometime last year, I posted something on Facebook, probably about the podcast, and somebody had said that I make, that I'm always positive, that I make happiness look easy, and I had to walk myself back just a little bit and explain to her that no, none of this has been easy. It's been a long journey and has been a lot of work to get here and to maintain that. And that was on me for making it seem that way. And so I'm, I'm extremely careful about how I post things or how I talk about things in my life. And along those lines, I've taken up the philosophy of an old Stoic, uh, Cato the Younger, I believe. He had said, I begin to speak only when I'm certain what I'll say isn't better left unsaid. And that has been has become a very strong philosophy philosophy of mine. And I think, I don't know, but I, I feel like a lot of times people will take my silence as apprehension or disdain or any other number of negative feelings or emotions toward a specific conversation. And that's not it. It's just, I, I only desire to contribute to a conversation if I feel like there's something for me to add. And that's allowed me to listen and, and put my ego aside and learn, and as opposed to thinking I know all the answers, which I used to, for some reason, I used to truly believe to understanding that I don't and that I always have something to learn from every single person I'm, I'm in a conversation with. And that's been a very powerful practice for me. What inspires you to keep doing this podcast? That's a great question because if I'm going to be extremely honest, there have been times that I've wondered if it's reaching its end and to, 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 to quell any fears, I, I'm, I'm, I don't feel that way. I, I see it going for another 100, 200, 300 episodes, whatever it takes. Uh, but there have been times that I, I've wondered if it's worth it for me to continue doing so. And then I will have somebody reach out to say they really enjoyed an episode or I have a new, really interesting guest express interest in, in joining me for a conversation. And those things, those those conversations and those those you know what, those conversations with not just the guests, but also listeners and people who appreciate what is being created here. That is what continues to inspire me to keep doing this each week, spending time to build something that I'm truly proud of. If you could buy the homepage of Google as an ad for a day, what would you put there? That is very, that's a very Tim Ferriss question. Um, I'm going to go back to my call to action. It's, or I will, I will, Give another stoic quote. This is from Epictetus. How long are you going to wait before you demand the best for yourself? And I would plaster that all over the homepage and get rid of all the other links. And so people question about what they can do better in their own lives. What is the most important thing you've learned in your life so far? And how has that impacted you? This goes back to my life-changing book, Ego is the Enemy. After I read that book, I started asking myself if my decisions were being influenced by my ego. And I asked myself for that for a long, long time if what I was about to say was being influenced by my ego, if what I was about to do was being influenced by my ego. Eventually, I kind of started to be able to make decisions more quickly without having to ask that question. And I've said it before, 
I've I learned that ego isn't something we suppress or bury deep within ourselves. It is something we learn to live alongside. And as I've done that, as I've maintained a balance between humility and confidence, that has allowed me to pursue all of the things I consider great in my life. And that's that's been very, very important. What is the best tip you have for people to become happier? That is a loaded, loaded question, and I'm going to give a loaded, loaded answer. Like I said, the best decision I've made for my own happiness is quitting drinking. And I know not everybody abuses alcohol. I know there are some people who can have one drink and quit, and that is totally cool. For me, the best decision I made for the sake of my own happiness was quitting drinking so I had more time to pursue the things that I really love in this life. And so whether your drinking is actual alcohol or it's weed or anything else, any other habit that you don't, that isn't adding value to your life, question it, ask if you really need it, and try to go for an extended period of time without doing it and see what you're capable of accomplishing and see how you feel after the fact. What was the coolest project thing thought that a guest shared that stayed with you or you had the most comments from listeners? Going back, I've got to give credit again to Christina Wise. I had, I can't tell you how many people reached out to me talking about how much that episode meant and how people started to think about money just a little bit differently after listening to that episode. And so if you have not listened to it, I highly encourage you to do so. It was very, very thought-provoking. And I, you know, from a from a happiness standpoint, we have the mantra that money doesn't buy happiness, which I still agree to be true, but as Christina pointed out, neither does being poor. And so what we can do is be more thoughtful with how we earn our money, with how we spend our money, and with the expenses we have, as opposed to, for me, going out to the bar all the time or wasting money at restaurants. I know what actually brings value to my own life. A lot of that is, <laughs> surprise, surprise, mountain biking, being outdoors, and having experiences that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. And so as I was able to build a stronger relationship, a healthier relationship with money, that has allowed me to feel more comfortable talking about it and having thoughtful conversations about it with other people. And I'm always excited to have to, to share that with others because I, I think it's one of those things that we don't really learn in high school or college unless you take financial classes. And for me, it was just a, a, a shift in thinking that I didn't know was possible. And that that's always been one of my favorite things about this podcast is that it allows me to learn new ways to think, not just new practices or habits, but actually rewire my brain to think just a little bit differently so I can live a life, again, that I'm proud of and that fulfills me. What would you pick for your last meal? People who know me are going to laugh or probably roll their eyes, but I make this pretty killer Mediterranean sweet potato dish with chickpeas and garlic yogurt sauce. I love it. It's one of my favorite meals to eat. And, you know, I don't want to have indigestion or I don't want to feel bad going into whatever eternity happens to be. And hummus. I would, I would make sure I eat hummus with that, too. How would you describe your vision for this podcast in the future? What has made you the happiest about doing this podcast so far? Is this a part of your happiness journey? I love that Christina loves talking about happiness. It's making me 
understand it just a little bit better for myself. So how would I describe the vision for the podcast in the future? Just continuing to grow, just continuing to hone in my ability to have strong and powerful conversations. That has absolutely transformed my ability to do so in the real world as well. And continuing to build relationships both in the podcast and out, that's been such a major part of my own happiness journey. So yes, it is a part of my happiness journey. And it's really been what has made me happiest about doing the podcast is seeing what I personally am uh, capable of doing, what my potential is in regard to the spoken part of it, as well as the marketing or the website side of things, which uh, again is part of my everyday business. So it's been such a powerful and moving experience throughout the entire process. Tell us about how you guys started this podcast and why you chose to continue it. I think I've touched on this probably more often than not, but it was Ernie and I just having conversations that we always really made us challenge each other to do better. And so I convinced him to start recording them. And I chose to continue it because I knew that its mission was not complete. I knew that I really wanted to dig deep into what made people tick, what brought them joy and happiness into their own lives. And and that's, that's honestly why I continue doing it, because I know there's no one secret to having a happy or fulfilled life. And so the more conversations I get to have around it, the better I understand it from a holistic and uh, macro, I think there's a micro, I think it's macro level. Um, and I only know over the next 100 episodes, I'm going to understand it just that much more. All right, two more questions. This next question is from Barbara in Switzerland. As I mentioned, she and I had a catch-up call the other day, and it was great hearing from her. And uh, I know she's received a ton of value from the meditations uh, that Ernie did early on, and I'm glad that she has started listening to some of the conversations as well. It means a lot. So she asks, since I'm aware of being all in or all out, why have I not tried to get into the gray zones with all of the tools I have at hand, is there a reason for it? Have I tried and had it not work out? So what I'm hearing her ask is specifically related to my health and being all out with alcohol, being all out with sugar. It's, I don't know, I've heard it described as type A before. I just, I know me, I know my personal self that if I'm going to give myself an inch with a sip of alcohol or with one single cookie, then I'm going to be able to justify just letting go altogether. And I, 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 this really goes back to my goal of wanting to feel good all of the time and 100% of the time. And I know what eating unhealthy does to me. I know how it makes me feel. I know how it affects my energy levels. And I'm just not willing to sacrifice that. What is most important to me is being awake and alert and feeling good during my workouts and not feeling tired and not feeling anxious or fatigued or feeling any bad physical feeling due to what I'm putting into my body. And so that's that's the reason for it. It's it's Food is not worth it to me. Food is a means as well as, I mean, alcohol just, it served no purpose in my life. So I'm black or white, all or nothing, because I'm not willing to sacrifice my own health, my own well-being, and how I feel every single day for simple, quote-unquote, pleasures. To me, it's a matter of integrity. And I, when I say that I'm going to do something, I, I, I strive to do it 
all in. Um, for example, I've taken a cold shower every single day for probably five years. It's not, it's just, it's not something I, I need to talk about. It's not something I need to brag about, but it's something that I do because I know how it makes me feel. And I, I know how, I know how I would feel if I, if I didn't do it both physically and mentally, I know that sacrificing on that would, it would hurt my motivation. It would make me feel like I'm sacrificing on my quality of life. And that's just not something that I'm willing to do. It's, not hard for me to be all or nothing. It's just, it's just kind of how I've always been. And so when it comes to diet, nutrition, cold showers, it's just, it's a, it's, it's a not, it's not a choice. It's just, it's what I do and I don't think about it. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but I do these things. I'm all in because I know what I'm going to get out of it as part of that, that determination that you can call it willpower if you want, you can call it whatever you'd like, but I, I know the effect that it has on me, my body, my mentality, and um, that's that's worth it for me. All right, and the very last question, so much for keeping this under 30 minutes, is actually from Anonymous, which is kind of cool. This question popped up after I recorded or released episode 100, and uh, it's on those days that get you down, because we all have them. Do you have a formula or a secret to pulling yourself out? That's a really good question. It's a really good question to end on. And uh, I like how you put formula or secret in quotes. And I've, I've, I've used this term before, a happiness algorithm. That's what I've been trying to discover for myself because it's not, there's no secret to feeling good or feeling happy all the time, but I, I do believe there's an algorithm. And so when we start to feel anxious, what do we do? When we start to feel down or depressed or feeling like we're low energy, what do we do to pull ourselves out of that? So when I start to feel down, because you are right, we do all have those. We all have those days. I'll stop. Uh, whatever I'm doing, I'm, I will stop. And I will sit with myself for a few moments, for a few minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes if I need to, and just think about and reflect and acknowledge what it is that's got me down. And when, I, when I'm capable of doing that, when I actually stop and reflect and understand what it is that has me down, it takes the power out of it. And it allows me to remove the judgment from it. So often, my anxieties stem from a feeling that something needs to be done now, something needs to be accomplished. When I realize that that's not true, that that client project doesn't need to be launched in the next five minutes, or that I don't need to give people access to me all day, every day, that gives me the opportunity or the permission to say, I'm going to file this thought away I'm going to come back to it later when I'm not in an emotionally vulnerable position. It doesn't, it doesn't go away. It's that the thought doesn't disappear, but it allows me again to remove the judgment from it. And with that, it takes away those negative feelings, those negative emotions. And so that helps me pull myself out of, of being down. And in regard to a formula or a secret, when I take that time to sit with myself, to sit with my thoughts and to remove the judgment from them, that helps me start to recover. And I, there are times when I'll, I'll just get up from, from working. I will walk around. I'll, I'll watch a mountain biking video. I will do something to take my mind off of whatever project or whatever negative feeling or emotion that I, I'm having at the moment. 
I think we all feel so consumed by other people's demands on us, demands for our work or our our attention through social media or even our well-being because people tend to try to bring us up or even down to their levels. When I'm feeling overwhelmed from social pressures or from career pressures or from any pressure that is coming from outside of myself, then I will try to pull myself into isolation just for a bit so I can recenter without sounding too woo about it, but to really find my point of equal equilibrium again. And it's a practice I've been cultivating for a number of years, and it takes work. But next time you feel like you're being pulled in a thousand different directions by your thoughts or by other people's demands, lock yourself away in a closet or a bathroom for five minutes and just sit with yourself and just acknowledge your thoughts. Don't try to push them away. Don't try to hide them. But acknowledge them and realize that your thoughts are not you and you're fully capable of removing the judgment and stigma from them. And when you can do that, when you can work alongside your thoughts and your ego, that's been my best recipe for pulling myself out of a negative mindset. All right. Again, I cannot thank you all enough for joining me through 100 episodes. I hope you join me through 100 more. Thank you again for all the support, the feedback. I cannot wait to bring you more encouraging and inspiring conversations with guests from all over the world. If you'd like more podcast content in your life, please follow me on Instagram at Trey Kaufman. You'll find more podcast content as well as pictures and videos of me pursuing my passions. Again, thank you all so incredibly much. And until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.